Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Welcome to this week's show. Just uh, shouting out to you from our remote studios. If our sound quality is a little different, just know like everybody else, we're doing our social distancing part which means recording remotely, which means recording at my home studio, which means hoping the two dogs don't bark while we're doing this. Jeremy and Gretchen, welcome to the show. So how are you guys doing with your social distancing? Uh, We're not very far apart. We're like a foot apart. Well, yeah, but we're married and we hang out together all the time. That's allowed. That's allowed. So are you getting getting out for walks and different things like that? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, any problems so far or just uh it, it's cold it's cold out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we have the same thing up here. <laughs> but uh you know, it is uh April now, so uh, uh April showers bring May flowers and all of that. I, I think hope so. We're yeah, in right. April showers part here, so But anyway, Lucky. on this week's show we got a couple of good things uh coming up. Steve Mailer is going to be giving us another interview. Everybody really liked his last week. And uh, we're going to be getting him on in the next couple of weeks for a Q&A on some of the interviews he's done with you. Send your questions in, one user-friendly on Facebook and Twitter. We'll take those and we'll put the segment together. The other thing that we have going on this week is we're going to be talking about virtual tours here in the next segment. And this is kind of fun. A lot of places, uh, because they're closed down, are trying to do something. These are things like museums and, and so on. So there's been a lot more of these virtual tours put together, and some of them are good, and some of them leave a little room for improvement. So we'll talk about a couple of the bigger ones and uh, go through and try to figure out uh, what's worth you doing. Some of them are free, and some of them cost money. We're also on that topic next week going to have a representative from the Wizard World Comic Con on. They have started doing a virtual Comic Con. So uh, we're going to get some more information on what that is, how you can get involved, and how it works. Our news this week is sponsored by Social Goods Market, Newburgh, Oregon. Check out Social Goods. While we're hunkered down, it's still legal to go out and get things for delivery or pickup, and they have everything for you, food and brews. Social Goods Market, located on 1st Street in Newburgh, Oregon. You can give them a call, 971-333-8466. What's in the news today? Saudi Arabia may be spying on U.S. through mobile networks. Yeah, this sounds a little creepy, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Just a little. <laughs> so I'm going to have to get into a little bit of techno babble here, but I'll explain what I'm talking about afterwards. Okay, and, babble away. <laughs> and there you are. And what they're talking about here is a weakness in something called SS7. So SS7 is a global routing system. And what that means is basically this. When you take your mobile phone and you travel internationally, there's roaming charges. And the cellular companies need to know where you are and what you're doing to be able to build the roaming charges properly. And uh, there's a lot of money in this. I know that when I've traveled internationally, it can very easily stack up into the hundreds of dollars, if not more, if you're not really careful making phone calls or doing data requests from your cell phones. So the system that's been adopted to do this is what's called SS7. And it's something that's more or less an international agreement for a standardized protocol. But the problem is, The system itself is a little bit older, and it has some known issues. And what it allows for a mobile operator to do is they can go out and request location and usage information from a phone that's on their network on a remote country. Now, that part sounds pretty ambiguous, but the problem that they're having with this is that the requests from Saudi Arabia are a lot, like 10 to 15 times an hour, and it does provide GPS location data for being able to do the billing. 
Well, the thing with that is, is it's possible to use that data for nefarious purposes, and one of them seems to be figuring out where the Saudi citizens are when they're traveling in the U.S. So what it comes down to is Saudi Arabia and potentially other countries are able to exploit this to be actually able to spy on their people or people that are using their network while within the borders of our own country. And you can kind of see where that can kind of go in a really, you know, what potentially could be a negative direction. Phishing networks trying to steal your information. Yep. And actually, that's a good term for them because there's a number of places where this is happening. Fake websites, phishing emails, and phone calls are all things to be aware of. What a lot of this has to do with is the stimulus checks that are coming out. And they're wanting to, you know, part you from your money with that. A couple of good things to take into consideration on this is that the government is not going to call you and ask for personal data. They're not going to email you and ask you for personal data or request it through a website. The way that they're doing the stimulus checks is they're going to be sending it out the way that you got your refund uh, in either 2019 or 2018. Or if you're a recipient of Social Security, you'll get it the way that you get your Social Security. Or if you don't fall in any of those categories, there will be a physical check that's going to be sent out, uh, they're saying, in a couple of weeks. But what's happening here is that between that and people wanting to get products that are starting to be hard to come by, like hand sanitizer and toilet paper and that type of thing, there's a lot of phishing going on. In fact, on a search that I did on Google to look for, I think it was hand sanitizer, I got five responses and four of them weren't real websites, they were spoofs. So some of the things that you can do about this to watch out for it is, number one, make sure that you're going to a reputable seller. Make sure the price that's being charged does not involve price gouging. That's a way to see that it's it's not real. Make sure that things like words are spelled correctly and that type of thing. That can be a sign of something that's been hastily put together. Check on the About Us link on the fake sites. I was noticing that they were either weren't there or they were filled with information that they had just cut and pasted from somewhere else that had nothing to do with them. And the other thing is sites with third-party sellers, which includes things like Amazon and Walmart. Be careful that the third-party seller is genuine and not trying to price gouge you. Look at their feedback, see where the product is coming from, that type of thing. And if it feels like it's too good to be true or something's wrong, then move on. N95 masks may have evolved over the years. I don't think they may have, Gretchen. I think they actually did quite a bit from what I understand. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) You're the one that wrote the topic. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. There you go. Hey, Jeremy, you've been looking into this a little bit. Yeah, uh, I I started looking it up because, you know, doing all the 3D printing and everything with stuff. And uh, the N95 mask is the one that's it's like a face cup that fits tightly over your nose and mouth. And it either, sometimes it has a filter, sometimes it doesn't uh, for the air to come in and out. But the the fibers in the mask started out with, uh, you've got the, the paintings and drawings of plague doctors in the Middle Ages all the way up to the 1900s. And, you know, they were in those, those weird cone-shaped masks, made them look like birds. And the, those masks were designed to help block a smell because right. they thought that the smell was causing the illnesses. Now, so, this would have been like the 1500s, right? Yeah, all the, all the way up through the, the early uh, 1900s. Okay. But so, you know, the technology hadn't changed. But it, it changed when we started to come to the uh, plagues, the Manchuria, in the um, like 1910. Right. And a, a Chinese doctor figured that um, you it wasn't passing through a smell. There was another problem, right? So he changed he changed the masks. He made a mask out of gauze 
and cotton and layered it. So it, and it fit tightly over his face and he didn't get sick. The um, English doctor he was arguing with about this said that, well, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Didn't use a mask and died in two days. Okay. Uh-oh. Yeah, so we're, we're <laughs> that would be a sign of uh, yeah. I, I think I would yeah, take that so as a sign. You layer, you layer your cottons and gauzes and make a mask, and then um, in the early 1960s, they d- developed polymers and polymerized the fabric, and the polymer actually made a better filter than the cotton and gauze. Okay, so since the 1960s and 70s, uh, polymerized fabric. Is what they've been making the masks out of to keep the um, toxins from getting into your airway by making layers of like like just think of all these different layers of netting. So you get the air to come in, but the diseases get caught in all the layers or particles like yeah. a pollen and or s- smoke. Right, yeah. right. These masks are also used. For things like that, also, like, some of them are industrial. Right. Like, you, you might find at Home Depot or Lowe's. So, now, now we're, we're working with the super latest versions of polymers and fabrics. And, you know, we've been looking for masks for weeks trying to find them. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, everybody's looking for them right now. And I think it's, it's wise to, uh, a lot of the stores are keeping them back for the healthcare workers, which obviously makes sense when there's a shortage. Because, you know, those are our people that really are on the front lines with all of this. But it is interesting to hear how this kind of, it's, it's more an observation scenario. And, you know, really science works the same way. We know more than we did in the 1500s, but the protocol, it's, it's weird to hear how that hasn't really changed that much. Yeah. And I think people ought to recycle ones that they might have in their shops. Yeah. Yeah. They, well, and they're doing that, I notice, in the hospitals, too. They put them in a paper bag, clean them. And, you know, they're, they're meant to be used one shot, but they can be kept, I guess, for multiple uses, especially if it's the same person that's, that's using them. Well, we've got a great show for you. Stay tuned. We need your questions. We need your comments. One user friendly on Facebook and Twitter, or give us a call 503-766-6264. And if you miss a show, you can check out our podcast at theanswerportland.com. Click on shows and then user friendly 2.0, and it'll bring you right there. We'll be back after the break. And welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0 recording live from quarantine. A live recording. That's kind of an interesting thing to think about. But hey, you know, it's the new <laughs> okay, normal, when right? Said, when you said live from quarantine, I, I got this image of 1800 nurses walking about, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 you know, I am just real. I, I, and it goes without saying, but. You know, I think so much of a shout out that we all want to give to our providers that are on the front lines of these things. And I am so glad they have a little more tech than what they would have had in the 1800s. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh man. I just, you know, I, I know that we have a shortage on the masks and some of the PPE and all of that. But the reality is at the end of the day, I, I wouldn't want to have to deal with this and don't wish it on anybody. But given the choice, having modern techs a little bit better. And I'm glad to hear that a lot of our manufacturers are stepping up to deal with that stuff with the ventilators and the masks and gloves and everything. And I just hope they're all okay, you know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, applauds go out to them, just like the way the Europeans 
uh, were um, applauding the uh, workers, you yeah. know, that the healthcare people. Here in so. Portland, they've been doing a thing at seven o'clock at night. Sometimes uh, Mayor Wheeler kind of spearheaded this to go out and yell off the bo- balcony and honk the horn. And the first time I heard it, it's like, what? And it's like, you know what? They are, they've earned it. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so I, I'm happy to, happy to see that being out there. And, you know, as we're stuck inside, we've been kind of looking at some of the things you can do online. In fact, uh, we've been talking about games and some different things like that over the last couple of weeks. And it seems like with a lot of museums and related things being closed down now, they're starting to do a lot in the way of virtual tours. And I got to work on one of the projects, and I'll talk a little bit more about the specifics of that in coming weeks after it launches, and I'm out of NDA. But needless to say, it's been kind of fun to deal with, and it's been something that's been kind of fun to put together. And the one I'm working on has both been where you could see this museum, and then there's a VR, virtual reality part of it that we're working on finishing up this week. But uh, we put some of these together, and Jeremy Gretchen, whoever wants to take this away, I know you looked at some of these. If you want to, what's your feeling on them? Well, I think it's kind of cool that you can get virtual tours of the museums you can't actually physically go to. I mean, you know, the Louvre has a virtual tour. Yep. Oh, yeah. And uh, NASA has two, one for the uh, Langley Research Center and and one for the Glenn Research Center. And, you know, what's kind of cool about this, the one that I'm working on, I based off of Google's um, technology for Street View. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, it's used, uh, you know, similar versions of it in the real estate industry and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of it was just bringing together, you know, they say necessity is the mother of invention, but a lot of museums are nonprofits and different things like that. And ones you were like the Louvre are far away. A lot of people can't necessarily get to Paris and uh, to be able to see it. So it seems like this is not just while we're quarantined, but a, a really good idea. Yeah, I, I like the Pittock Mansion one that I saw. Um, I, it allowed me to walk through the whole building, or at least most of the building. There was a few places where it was like, no, you can't go there. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and I'm nosy anyway. So, um, so I was walking through things and it really made me, I want to go there. I want to yeah. see this place. Um, it was really beautiful and uh, it must have been an amazing place to live at one point. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I Pettick Mansion, you bring that up. Um, I'm uh, proud to be a member of that foundation. and. It's something that I've been out to many times, and it is a beautiful, beautiful antique mansion. And the Pittock family uh, that ran the newspaper in Portland for many years in the 1800s, which is where the money for that came from, only got to live there for five years before they had bad health, and and uh, he died, and then finally she did a few years later. Oh, how sad! So, you know, you, th- you look at all of that, but it, and in the 1960s, they were going to tear it down to build a subdivision. And the the house had fallen into disrepair. They had a huge hurricane-level storm up here uh, that had uh, broken the roof and broken some of the windows, so there was quite a bit of water damage and stuff. And it's an example of something that really the community got behind afterwards, and they were able to pull it back together. And it's beautiful. It's just by Washington Park, by downtown. You feel like you're in this oasis. And you don't only have the mansion, but you've got all kinds of trails and different things like that around it. And uh, the tour that they have up there, yeah, you can see, walk into every room that's publicly available, even the behind-the-scenes stuff's on there. And uh, the VR is going to contain the uh, area around there, so you can look around on both both methods. And, uh, you know, so again, just it, it seems like it's something that would drive, hey, this is something you want to go do when you can. Yeah. Um, then there was a, um, I don't remember exactly where it was. It was a car. Um, it was like vintage cars. Right. 
and uh, remind me a little bit of the old uh, Reno uh, Harris Club um, Museum. Right, right. And it really th- this it. it, it I, w- I think I enjoy that one more in person than on um, the virtual tour because it, it has so much space between right. everything. So it's like you're walking through this big warehouse, you know, and I think you'd get more out of the actual living experience. But if you're a, a car buff and you find out this place exists, then you're going to want to go there. Yeah. And that particular one was a Ford plant. Oh, is that what it was? That's okay. where that comes from. That was one of the old production plants, and it's now been made into a, uh, a museum, and then, of course, the virtual tour because you can't get in there. Now, one of the other ones I thought was interesting was the OMSI one, and it's a little bit different because it's not open all the time, at least the one that I was looking at. It's something that's actually related to an event that they do every month, and hmm. uh, so it's available to get into, and so, and this is something I've noticed. Some of them are free. And some of them you do pay for, and some of them you get for free if you're a member, you know, different things like that. So it seems like they're, you know, a lot of these places are coming up with different approaches to try and figure out what works best. And I don't think there's really a right way or a wrong way here. It's just a matter of like anything else. It's a new uh, application of technology and one that seems to be uh, kind of cool. Well, have you guys been to the San Diego Zoo? Uh, in person, yes. I have not had looked at their virtual tour yet. Have you? No, I was about to, but uh, what we're talking about is they have they have so many cameras. It might actually be a pretty good virtual tour. Okay, I I, I went there as a, a teenager. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah, you know, San Diego <laughs> Zoo. Oh yeah, I uh, uh, that's been one of my favorites. Portland has a great uh, zoo, but uh, San Diego is just uh, it goes on and on and on. It was and, huge. They do a great, uh, great. Apparently, there's also some virtual tours for Walt Disney World. Yeah. And uh, Legoland in Florida. Now, Legoland, I could see on a virtual tour, uh, Walt Disney World or a theme park like that. You know, the virtual tour would be cool, but I don't think it would replace actually going and riding the rides. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe VR is a good uh, application there because I, I know that like I've got a uh, uh, app on my virtual headset that I like that is a roller coaster. Yes. Now, if you ever had a roller coaster like any of those in real life, they would be deemed unsafe and uh, <laughs> uh, you wouldn't be allowed anywhere near them. But in virtual reality, it's kind of a lot of fun as long as you don't fall over while you're trying to trying to run the program. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I miss uh, our VR games. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the price of all of that stuff's coming down a lot. And uh, we got to go to the convention last fall. But I'm noticing there's a lot more things on the market, and uh, I'm thinking about maybe taking the splurge while we have this break and getting the wireless one and seeing what that's like. But um, it, it, you know, it is something that can be quite a bit of fun. Well, this is user friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0 in a little bit of a return to normalcy in this messed up world right now. We are going to do a Q&A. Haven't had a chance to do that in a couple of weeks, but your questions, please keep sending them in. One User-Friendly on Facebook, one User-Friendly on Twitter, or give us a call, 503-766-6264. What questions do we have today? Does Google Plus still exist? Right, so this is an interesting question because 
The last I had heard about this is that it was shutting down, I think it was 2018 or 2019. Uh, For anybody that doesn't know, Google Plus was originally launched to be a competitor to Facebook by Google, but never really took off. It was an interesting system, but uh, lacked some of the features, although some of the ways it did things I think were a little bit better. It just was a matter of they never got it into the mainstream, kind of like Facebook had done. And uh, their hope was to deplace them like Facebook did with MySpace, but it never actually happened. However, there is still a version of Google Plus around. And when they turned it off, they only turned it off for the free account, so like the at gmail.com. But Google offers a thing called GDocs or GDrive. Uh, it has a few other names where you can have a paid uh, version, almost like an exchange server on Google. And you can use your own domain name with those. And that version, the paid version, Google Plus does still exist. So when I looked at it, I haven't done anything with it in like three years, but the information was actually still out there. So I don't know what the ongoing goal is for this, but it is definitely still out there if you have a commercial account. I don't hear too many people using it really anymore uh, for that. So again, uh, I'll keep an eye on it and see if I can read a shout to Google when it's appropriate and find out what uh, what the plans are for it. All right. The next question is, are there female Star Trek fans? Which is, this question actually came originally from a Twitter post where a person, uh, a male, at least I presume it was a male, asked, um, he was surprised that there were so many female Star Trek fans. And a lot of female Twitter posters got really angry with this person. And I'd like to point out that when I was younger, any girls that showed an interest in science fiction, Dungeons and Dragons, fantasy, Star Wars, we were shunned. We were um, pushed aside by other girls, like there was something wrong with us. So a lot of this comic book culture and things are geared to men or males because originally only guys showed an interest in it. Now, I would say in the last 20 years, I've seen an increase of female interest in these areas, including video games. And it seems like the women are angry about the past. Well, I'm letting you know that in the past, if you showed interest in that and you were a girl, other girls would shun you and make fun of you. Now, I know in the in in current times, you know, going to Comic Cons and stuff in recent years, is it seems like it's pretty open and pretty equal. I mean, I see just as oh, many yeah. women and men playing characters, whether it be Star Trek or anything else, and tabletop role playing. We have women involved. I mean, it's just it's a normal part of it to me. But I guess what you're saying is at one time that wasn't the case. I'm glad that has changed. Yeah, I even had a um, an English teacher. Um, belittle me because I liked science fiction and fantasy literature. Wow. Now, what, what time period would that have been? Like what year? The 80s. The early 80s. 80s. Okay. So about yeah. 20, God, more now, years yeah, ago. Yeah, more than that. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird to think that was that long ago, but it is. So, well, I'm just glad that some things have changed for the better. We have a question called, what is blockchain? Yeah, I'm not sure I can completely answer that in the time we have left, which is about one minute here. Um. All right, so 10,000-foot view. This is a term that we have heard going around. Um, a, a Kind of a not complete, but a definition of it is that it's used for encryption, although there are definitely other implementations of it. So to explain this, it's like a chain with links 
where each new link has to identify using the previous link, and it builds out to this long set of virtual data. The idea being that if you try to change the information internally, it has to change them in every link up to that point. So that's why it's used for encryption, because it's a lot more secure. It's very difficult to change one part of it without changing the whole record set. It was originally developed for doing an online transaction ledger for uh, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency. So uh, that's where this originally came from, but it's being used in a lot of different cases now for enhancing encryption. And uh, and then there's a number of other things, and it's not trying to avoid hitting on it. It's just it would take a lot more time. So what we might do is see about getting an expert in and talking about this in a segment. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Joining us now is Steve Mailer. Well, Bill, Jeremy, and Gretchen, thank you. This is uh, Steve Mailer having an interview with a, a wonderful voice actor that I've had the pleasure of working with over the last five or six years. His name is Jeffrey Bentley. In fact, he has a website, uh, Jeffrey B. That's Me. Um, and you do, you do a lot of voices, I understand. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me, sir. Pleasure to be here. Well, the pleasure and fun is certainly going to be ours, Jeffrey. I think you're going to find you have uh, a lot of fans here at User-Friendly. I mean, the work that you do, it crosses a lot of different genre, uh, video gaming, voice characters, film, TV work, and, and you do, I'm sure, a lot of commercial work. Yes? Yes, I do commercial work. I do uh, promos, animation, video games, even audiobooks. Okay. So you're talking to the right group when you're talking about video games, because everyone <laughs> loves video games. And, I'm a know. big gamer myself. You are a big gamer. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I guess that follows, right? <laughs> so um, tell us, how, how did you get into the industry of being a, a voice actor? Well, uh, it all started when I was seven, and I would mimic voices that I would see on TV, like uh, Disney, Warner Brothers, Hanna-Barbera, MGM, all the classics. Okay. But my family will argue that I've been acting ever since the day I was born. Okay. <laughs> so I can believe that. that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I didn't get into acting uh, in front of people until I was about 12, where I would mimic uh, comedians and everything. And believe it or not, I was the shy kid growing up. I no was, way. I was you? a bit of a loner. I was a bit of a loner, huh. believe it or not. Uh, but I, it, while people were at recess, I would sit and draw pictures on the wall. and uh, Well, not on the wall itself, but I would sit I on the wall and, and draw pictures uh, on my drawing pad. But uh, when people would say, hey, you know, tell us this story you know, and uh, you know, do this routine, I'm just like, yeah, sure. Come out of my shell for that moment. But then when I gained confidence after uh, I had a learning disorder and my mom got me into Sullivan Learning Center, and got my confidence up as far as reading stuff goes. So that's when I got into my first show, which was The Music Man when I was 16 years old. Music? Oh, so you do a lot of theater. Yes, sir. I started uh, theater when I was 16, and it'll be, gosh, in April, it'll be 18 years. Wow. Okay, well, you just dated yourself. Uh Uh-oh. But that's okay. Oh, oh, no. (laughs) How dare I? (laughs) But, you know, it's not about that. It's about how I sound, right, when it comes to voice acting. Yes, absolutely. Well, you, I will say, having worked with you in a number of projects, you, you do come along, you do come across on screen really well. I mean, Aww. very comedic, um, <laughs> very, very photogenic. So, uh, so yeah, so no worries that. there. 
So where where would you say most of your gigs come from? How do how do people hire you? Um, well, one of the first few gigs I started on was uh, Fiverr, and uh, you know I that that's a, that's a good place to start for voice actors who are just uh, okay. beginning. Uh, you know, you just got your equipment and you know getting your feet wet, if you will. Fiverr is a good site. But there's also Mandy.com, which I've gotten uh, a lot of my gigs. Okay, I've, I've heard of Mandy.com. Yep, and they're uh, very professional. They, you know, talk to actors and they talk to crew. They talk to technicians. They talk to, uh, the, gosh, uh, like fashion people and a, a, any 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 genre, facet of the industry. Yeah, any genre of okay. artist. They're part of that, and wow. it's a great website. Nice. Okay, so now are you able to tell us any projects you're currently involved in? Not right now. Uh, a lot of it is NDA, but okay. uh, I can tell you who I'm involved with. Okay. Oh, that'd I, be good. I, I'm actually an assistant right now to the wonderful Eliza Jane Schneider, who is all the female voices of South Park. Nice. Yeah. Wow. No, she's, she's wonderful. She's you know very down. To, <laughs> she's down to earth, but she's also a hippie. So okay. Oh, no. Well, <laughs> and, I guess uh, for doing a show like South Park, either you have to have some something like that in your character. But of course. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, she was not the original uh, gal. She voice matched the original lady and she teaches her students how to voice match popular characters. And but she's Mm. also a dialect coach of over 25 years. And she she's wonderful. She she's she's Jewish. And you, you don't expect this gal to teach women from the hood. (laughs) <laughs> to speak in an African dialect, but wow, she did. That she is did different. For a live show. She helped them out. Amazing. Yeah, she she has been doing that. Uh, she used to be on Beekman's World. Okay. And then she got out of that, and she dedicated uh, the next you know like ten or so years of her life just traveling and recording people of their dialects. And uh, you can go to characteractingacademy.com. Oh. You can go to, um, what was it, uh, dialectmasterclass.com as well. Okay. So those are her two sites. Wow. So you can get pretty deep into into basically perfecting this art form. Absolutely. Well, see, so we just finished up um, Ireland and not just, uh, you know, your basic Irish that, uh, where, are you, where are you here, a leprechaun, just bouncing across the screen. That, that's, usually, <laughs> that's usually the very cartoony Dublin type sure. thing. But uh, we we dove deep into like Sligo and uh, oh. Dublin and uh, Killarney and all these different various areas wow. of north, south, east, and west okay. of Ireland itself. Yeah, no, well, that makes sense because if you're if you're from that country, you're gonna hear differences in how people maybe like an intonation mm-hmm. or a, f- a form of dialect that's a little bit different. So there is no there is no generic. Irish brogue. I mean, there's a, a lot of different flavors to that. Absolutely. So she, so she actually digs and differentiates into that. So that's part of yep. your training. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's basically layers, just like an onion. Even, sure. Even in, uh, she calls it the music of dialect. Oh, oh because, that's neat. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes it goes up or sometimes it goes down. Gotcha. Okay. So do you have a, uh, any particular project that was like one of the funnest pieces that you'd worked on? I will say uh, th- uh, this is a piece that is still on YouTube to this day. You can go check it out. It's called Pharaoh, and it's only five minutes long, you know, maybe a little bit more, you know, in between five and six minutes. And I got to play a heretic that is basically mouthing off at this new young pharaoh. And <laughs> the direction was pretty funny okay. because uh, they said, 
Oh, okay, first, right here, we want you to be a suffering Mr. Incredible when he thought he lost his family in the first movie. And I said, okay. It's like, and it's like, okay, that's great. But now we want you to be uh, <laughs> the Peter Dinklage character from Game of Thrones. So somewhere between a sarcastic Peter Dinklage from Game of Thrones and a suffering Mr. Incredible, you get the take <laughs> that oh, they wow. chose for the film. And okay. I did. I must have recorded those same lines maybe two dozen times before they made a choice. So, but it was really fun. Uh, I actually worked on a mobile game called Tiny Gladiators 2, where I played at least 20 plus male characters. I'm, I'm all the male voices in this game. And you can download it on, you know, your Google Play or um, Apple Store. If people wanted to contact you, how would they do that? Ah, well, I'm everywhere. I am on LinkedIn. Uh, Jeffrey Bentley, a renaissance man, because I do a little bit of everything besides voice acting. I sing, dance, act, draw, play instruments. Yeah. Yeah, basically. I mean, so, you, so you're truly an artiste. <laughs> All around. Uh, but I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. And uh, yeah, Twitter. Um, I'm all over the place. I even have a YouTube page if you want to contact me there. Well, this certainly has been a lot of fun. Well, Jeffrey Bentley, thank you so much for being a guest here at User Friendly. It's always fun catching up with you and what you're up to. All right. Thank you, my friend. You take care. Bill, Jeremy, and Gretchen, back to you in the studio. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. Great show this week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you I'm are sorry, out there, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Recording remotely does have its challenges sometimes. I mean, at least I'm, I'm glad it works and I'm glad we're able to do this safely. But it's weird not being able to see you guys. <laughs> at least we're not doing satellite communication. Yeah. That would be true. bad. This is true. There'd be more, even more of a delay there. <laughs> so, um, Gretchen, you have found a new show I think that you like on Netflix. And since yeah. everybody's streaming right now, tell us a little bit about what you found and what it is. What it is is a mini series called The Letter for the King. Um, so you can watch the whole thing from beginning to end. I think it's about eight, eight episodes. episodes. And the acting is done really well. The set, the design, um, the story is nice. Um, and Jeremy, you said that it was written, um, uh, it was developed from a book yeah. written. The book was written 60 years ago. Okay. Yeah. The Letter for the King. Um, it was translated in English into, in, uh, 2016, I think. Okay. So really, really, you know, not really, really uh, shortly ago that it was done. Um, <laughs> that sounds terrible, but that's what it was. Uh, but yeah, it, it was. It's been done in other. Uh, the book was published in other languages well before English, and they've uh, done other series on this, but never in English. Okay. So now this sounds interesting. So give us the name again. The Letter for the King. The Letter for the King on Netflix, and you can binge watch the entire thing. I might yep. do that a little later in the week and just uh, just see what it is because I'm always looking for new stuff and I'm starting to run out of the stuff I like. So, uh, but there's a, <laughs> you know there's so many things on Netflix and Disney Plus and these other services that um, is worth checking out. You just have to know about it and uh, figuring out what that is is why you listen here. So, Jeremy, you've been working on some 3D printing projects. I know I saw a uh, message from you, but it didn't look like it was necessarily coming out. Well, it's that the new printer is uh, more finicky than the other one ever was. 
And, you know, I've had to do a lot of online research to try and figure out what I've done wrong and what, what little tiny button I haven't pushed or, you know, if I, if I'm actually doing anything wrong or if it's just the way that the machine works, but I've actually started to get prints to turn out correctly. So, you know, the manual leveling of the bed is going and the, you know, making sure that it sticks correctly and that the filament is, is, is hanging in the right way. So it curves the correct distance before it gets sucked into the feeder the brits would call it fiddly yeah yeah so i've had cars like that so you know, yeah not a not a fan uh, no i'd like to, be able to plug it in turn it on and start printing now but, your you know. old printer as you call it the uh, da vinci jr yeah um, i know you were having trouble with the uh print head we've got about 20 seconds what happened with that um it's the new one i just can't figure find any information on how to make it not get stuck okay i mean I don't know if I need to get it uh, the temperature up a lot higher or feed it slower or faster or what. I don't know. I can't get any answers. Well, anyone out there that's a 3D printing expert, reach out to us and maybe we can figure it out. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Until next week, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0 is copyright 2020, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. The views and opinions expressed in this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by WeAreTechnology.com. Podcast available at TheAnswerPortland.com or UserFriendlyShow.com.